welcome to a new episode of Troped Out Podcast. I am Emma C. Wells, except when I am M. Shotwell, and with me is my partner in crime, E.J. Winstrom. Today, we are chatting with young adult crime fiction author, Andrea Contos. Andrea is an award-winning writer of young adult mysteries and thrillers. After a childhood spent hiding beneath the covers to read books by flashlight, she obtained a degree in business where the only writing involved legal responses, and termination letters. She happily traded those for works of fiction, and she still loses far too much sleep creating and enjoying a good book. Her sophomore book, Out of the Fire, is published by Scholastic in December of 2021, and she has a second book coming out this year in October. Her debut, Throwaway Girls, is an ITW award winner for Best Young Adult Novel, as well as a Kirkus Best Book of 2020. Andrea is a 2021 ITW award winner, a Pitch Wars 2018 and 2019 mentor, a 2017 mentee, and a member of the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. She grew up in Detroit, and thanks to the tours given by her policeman father, she can tell you exactly where the morgue is. She currently lives outside the city with her tiny feminist daughters, her husband, and their fluffy cat. Andrea, it is so great to have you on Troped Out. Thank you so much for having me. So I guess we can just kick things right off the easy way. What are you reading right now? Oh, right, right now I am reading Kit Frick's new book. She's a fantastic young adult mystery author. Um, and her latest is Very Bad People, which is very dark academia, family secrets, boarding school, secret societies. I am loving it. That sounds amazing. That's, as Em likes to say, that hits my id list. Yeah. <laughs> your id list. Highly yeah. recommend. Highly recommend. Secret societies. Do you read mm. mostly YA or do you read a lot of adult also? I read everything. Um, I will, you know, with a small bit of MG. Uh, not not a ton of middle grade, but I do have a, you know, middle grade age daughter. So I kind of, you know, pick some of it up along the way with that. But um, young adult and adult, I'm kind of a big fan of reading all age ranges, all genres, because I think you can kind of learn a lot no matter, you know, what it is, even if it's not necessarily what you particularly write. Yeah, so I was going to suggest, I just like hearing what you're reading now, and that sounds really good. Like, I'm going to put that on my list. I just finished a book called Good Rich People by Eliza Jane, I think Brazier. In Louisiana, it would be Brazier, but I'm not sure. I think it's Brazier. I don't want to say Brazier. B-R-A-Z-I-E-R. Now you have. I know. (laughs) Now it's in there. It's done. I am so sorry, Eliza Jane. It's fantastic. It is over the top and banana pants in like the best possible crime fiction way. So if you're looking for something that's what I just finished EJ what are you what am I reading right now what am I reading I'm reading things I am reading hold on let me find the name of it because I can see it's pretty cover and I can't like I'm totally blinking out this is exactly what we were just talking about before we started recording where it's like trick question (laughs) (laughs) and then I did it to you I'm so sorry the other thing Ghostwood I'm... Song. This is in my interview. Back <laughs> off. Uh, no, I, I'm reading Ghostwood Song oh, yes. uh, by Erica Waters. Oh, it's yes. so good. Which I'm so, so enjoying. It's got those like Appalachia vibes going, all the ghosts and these haunted instruments and all that sort of stuff going on. And then I'm also reading. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Guys. We're just starting this 
out right out of the gate. I've been we? having <laughs> We a do morning. our own side of, uh, sound effects on this show. <laughs> There's no professionals involved. What you are hearing, we do that. We, we perform yes. our own stunts. Uh, what is it? The Neil Gaiman, uh, Terry Pratchett. Uh, the one that they made the, the Amazon Good adaptation omens? about. Good Omens. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's the so other thing I'm reading. Good. I'm reading Good Omens in print while I read Ghostwood Song on audio. And I have been reading both of these books for what feels like has been my entire life <laughs> because I am reading so slowly right now. You know how you go through phases where, like, you're zipping through books, yeah. like, one after the other after the other, and then sometimes you just can, like... You're slow for some reason. I'm super slow right now. I feel like I read like two books last year, but this year I'm like reading a ton. Like I'm also reading uh, Kelly Garrett's Like a Sister because Michael Meme, who was on the show a couple weeks ago, um, suggested it. And it's really good. Like Andrea, you probably know one of the best things, like I feel like one of the best compliments as like a crime fiction writer you can get is like to have that perfect pacing because that is everything. Right. Because you're going to have dead bodies. You're going to have a sleuth. You're going to have all these things. This book is so perfectly paced. I'm just like, how is she doing this? Like, it's so good. And then um, a book called The Cheerleaders, which is a YA kind of like mystery crime fic book. Yep. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. enjoyed it. I just finished it. I'm assuming Kara Thomas. Mm-hmm. Yes. She's yes. she's fantastic. I love all of her books. And it's kind of funny that you mentioned Erica Waters' Ghostwood song. She's actually from our Pitch Wars class. So we're very familiar with Erica and know all about her. Yes, I'm really, really enjoying it. Have you guys, kind of speaking about all this like feminist orbit thrillery stuff, did you watch that Kristen Bell show on Netflix? It was... The woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. <laughs> I have not watched it, but I've heard it's really good. Sort of kind of like a, I don't even know if I want to call it comedy. I haven't seen it, so I don't right. know exactly how it plays. But <clears throat> it's supposed to be sort of like a satire, I think, that sort of takes on those traditional adult mystery. I really, it's on my list of things to watch because I love it. I'm actually looking to get into the adult side of mystery writing, so... It's almost kind of like to take those tropes and turn them on their head, I think, are definitely something that is both entertaining and just educational to watch in terms of, like, how to, you know, structure your own against sort of what the parts that you could make fun of of a traditional adult mystery are. Yeah, to make fun of something, you really have to, like, understand it, I think. To successfully make fun of it and not just, like, throw punches like you have to kind of understand it I haven't watched it yet I started it but my husband was watching with me and it was so far outside of his wheelhouse like because <laughs> he, he doesn't watch a lot of that the, the real shows like the real crime shows so he was like he didn't get that they were making fun of things right and just like what's happening and I'm like no it's hilarious it's so funny and he's like it's I don't, so I'm subtle I'm going in the other room. Yeah. Right. Okay. Must be a bit of a niche They're market, really, right? really <laughs> deadpan about their execution of it that if I didn't know that it was satire going in, I would have missed a lot of it until like a few episodes in just because it's so like, like it just slips it right in there, like serious execution. And then the end, I will not give anything away, but they really dial it up to an 11. I've been looking for people to talk to about this, but I will not. <laughs> no, I really need to I watch this. I need to, I need to move it up <laughs> on the list. You know, and it's funny you mentioned yeah. that because I remember vaguely, and I didn't really dive into it because I hadn't read it and I didn't or didn't watch it and didn't want spoilers. Um, but I saw a number of people on 
social media being like, y'all realize this isn't like for real, right? <laughs> They're not actually trying to, yeah. and it clearly it was something that I think went over a lot of people's heads, which will probably mean that I like it just because it means that you kind of have to know, <laughs> yeah. like uh, details of, you know, a certain, like I said, little niche sort of group in order to truly appreciate it. So Kristen Bale does so great with like that deadpan humor too, because she can just like in several things, she'll just deliver it and that's it. Just like so gives nothing away. Did you watch Yellow Jackets? I have not gotten to Yellow Jackets yet. Look, this show came out like right after, because it's on Apple, right? I know about it and I know that it's like made for me. Yeah, I think Andrea too. Yeah, so here's the thing. We canceled our Apple subscription. We got it specifically to watch, what's it? Ted Lasso. Lasso. Yeah. And then we zipped our way through the morning show and then we're like, out of just on principle, we do not want to be subscribed to 10 zillion different things. And so we're just like, that's it. We'll come back when the next seasons are ready. And then Yellow Jackets released. And I was just like, fucking. You have to watch it. I can't it. quite bring my, I, I have to circle back on it. Um, but we're moving next month. So I'm going to like, like head down, get through the move. Treat yourself. And then I'm going to circle back on it and like really like sink in because it sounds like it's my jam. It is. And like, I, I know it is like 100%, no doubt. Like you're going to love it. Andrea, <laughs> have you know. heard about it? I have it. No. And I don't have Apple TV either. Cause we, we got rid of cable and then did the whole, you know, we have 12 different yeah, yeah. Different, and it's still cheaper, but, <laughs> but then something comes along yeah, where somebody's yeah. like, you have to watch this one show that's only on this service. So I will say this. It is definitely okay. It's dual timeline. Love that. It's definitely got a lot of YA elements to it, but there are mm. modern times where, like, they're adults. And I think the the girls in the show are probably just a little bit older than we are. So the adults are a little bit older than us. So, But it will definitely resonate with you, like the flashbacks. It is this girls' soccer team, which girls in sports is a big endless thing for me. And they have a whole Lord of the Flies moment and are stranded on this island. And it is insane. It is is so good, but it is so out there. It should not work, but it totally does. Like there's like a cult. There's a whole, I think, oh, EJ, I think there's cannibalism. (laughs) Somehow this ends up in everything I love. I Everything I do comes back to cannibalism somehow. You'll love it because there are people eating people. Excellent. Great. That's how you know it's for me. This is right. This is your, what you're new, you've been known for, right? It's her brand now. It just keeps coming. She's like, let me tell you about this show. Oh, and then they ate his And then brain. they ate each other. <laughs> right. And then, and then the magic system is you have to eat the other person. It, it just, it, like, wherever it is, like, it all comes back to cannibalism. I swear to God. What's the book I'm trying to think of? Star Eater was one. And I was like, and then they have to eat each other. And I'm just like, the cannibalism. It's always cannibalism with you. I think I'm going to put it on a t-shirt for you. <laughs> it all comes back to cannibalism. I mean. So. What doesn't. <laughs> anyway. No, I think that's great. So, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Love friend. cannibalism. It's awesome. <laughs> We're not going to try to segue it. We can just we can just cold I transit mean, to something else. I, yeah, fine. like I can. If we go back a step, we can segue all right. Um, because I did think it was really interesting. You know how much of a, a feminist moment thrillers have been having recently, and 
your books seem like they're like straight up that alley, which is amazing. Yes, absolutely. And I just think it's so interesting because not that this is terribly original, but just to kind of set us up for some conversation on it. This whole idea of, you know, like crime and thrillers, you know, like you've got the kind of classic where you think of the scream queen, you think of the female victim's body kind of strewn out in the dirt or whatever else. In, in recent years, it's really been turned around. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because when I wrote my debut, Throwaway Girls, the book actually opens with one of the main characters finding a girl who has died. Um, and so it sort of was my attempt to subvert that typical sort of opener um, and that it wasn't just you know a bunch of hard-boiled detectives standing around this body of a sex worker kind of thing and you know like using that as the impetus to you know have him go on his hero's journey kind of thing because that's what we typically see a lot and so instead it was this other character finding her and sort of relating to her in a lot of ways and sort of trying to honor her as best she can you know and sort of sympathizing with what kind of life she must have lived and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of a huge thing for me, even if I don't set out to write a book without those feminist elements in it, like they always come out. I, I think it's just going to be something that's always there. Um, not a bad thing, but it's it's really one of those things that I think we're seeing more and more often because in a lot of ways, I think we kind of undervalue teenage girls and they're often the butt of jokes. And it's, you know, oh, if, you know, it's kind of like way back in the day, even they were like the teeny boppers and anybody, you know, anything that teen girls loved is ridiculed and, you know, minimized. And we tend to kind of look down upon it. And I think it's almost kind of like a, a reminder that they have a lot of power and this new generation that we're sort of bringing up with those sort of ideas in mind rather than, you know, sit there and be pretty and quiet that we're telling them nope like raise your voice and bring stuff up that's not right and stand up for what you believe in and I think because of that we're seeing a much stronger generation that kind of had some tools that we didn't have and I love that I think that's awesome and you know what a fun way to do it in a way that's sort of still scary and sometimes pushes boundaries and is still entertaining and pacey and all of those wonderful things that we love about mysteries and thrillers but also kind of reminds them what they're capable of love that yeah you're definitely speaking our language with that (laughs) i think that's one of the most fun things about tropes since we're here about tropes today is that they have those those patterns that are so recognizable but the recognition of them also makes it so powerful to play with them and you tweak it just a little bit this way you turn on its head that way like that and you can make something just completely different in its meaning than what we're used to I think that's one of the most fun things. I think that's fun about genre fiction. I think that's fun about comic books and like superheroes and everything. So I'm going down a path, but I'll come back around. But yeah, I just think that's just one of the coolest things that you can only do if you're working with tropes. Yep, absolutely. I don't know. We were talking about shows earlier. I'm not sure if either of you have seen The Wilds. No, I think I started it. Yes, so good. Loved it. It's Mm -hmm. almost like a Lord of the Flies for girls. Um, and, and the whole premise of it is this group of girls gets marooned on this island and sort of have to survive and figure out what's going on. And so the new season comes out in May, but I loved the relationships between them. They're very sort of, in their own ways, damaged girls with like pasts that sort of slowly filter in that you kind of get the background of it as you go through the story. But the relationships were just fantastic love the backstory and it was a really sort of like unflinching portrayal of a lot of the things that have happened to them in the past but still 
gave them agency in sort of learning how to overcome those things and become who they are when they're sort of deprived of all of civilization and having to learn to you know deal with each other when there's only them to be able to rely on. Yeah, I was thinking, so we have a lot of familiar tropes in YA in general, just in the age range, like coming of age, first love, figuring things out. It's like you're kind of sticking your toe into adulthood, and but you're not really a kid anymore. And when you mix that with the traditional like thriller tropes, I guess, and crime fiction tropes that you see, you come up with something very interesting and different because it's thinking about things from a whole do- different perspective than po- you know than an adult would and the life experience you're bringing to it. So can you tell us a little bit about that, writing characters who are kind of in that stage of life and balancing things like prom and friendships and first love, but also with like solving murder? <laughs> <laughs> so my... <laughs> It's actually a really easy thing to put together because, you know, it, if you're just writing about the murder and the solving, the disappearance or whatever it is, that's pretty boring, right? I mean, plots and thrillers, I think historically are always, they come first, right? If you don't have a good plot, if you don't have a good pacing, then people are going to lose interest. But at the end of the day, I, I don't know that that's really true because if I read a book that's like got an awesome plot and like a great twist at the end, I'll enjoy it. And it'll be like, that's fun. And then I'll walk away. And the next day, if I can't remember anything about those characters, if I can barely remember their names, I'm not reading that book again. I, I'm like, that was fine. It was okay. I enjoyed it. But it's not going to stick with me. And I think that's where the character comes in. And I think if you really want to show those characters, then all of those typical teenage things have to be part of that, right? You can't tell their story in a bubble. Like, they still are living their lives. And so all of those things have to be part of it. And my book that comes out in October is called Tell Me No Lies. And it's my favorite thing that I've ever written. It was so fun to write. And it's actually told from the point of view of two sisters. Could not be more like opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, the older sister Nora is very like buttoned up and super smart and you know, studious and follows the rules and very structured. And then her younger sister is a dancer and kind of a little bit flighty. And so it sort of pulls on those so sort of like ideas of who am I supposed to be and what do people think of me as? And so do I have to sort of live up to that reputation or can I kind of find myself who maybe is not the person everybody thinks that I am? So it's kind of their journey of how do I loosen up a little bit and start to see the gray when I'm only used to black and white? And then how do I learn to trust myself a little bit instead of playing into this I'm just this flighty, you know, dancer who, you know, nobody takes seriously and, you know, I'm just this mediocre student kind of thing and nobody really expects much from me who all of a sudden realizes, hey, I am capable of stuff and I, I can deal with those kind of things. And, you know, in the context of relationships, do I want somebody who only sees me as this like arm candy girl who is, you know, pretty and smiles nice but doesn't really have a whole lot to offer? Or do I want somebody who respects me for, you know, who I know that I am? So. It was just so fun to write in the context of, you know, this, it's actually a missing boy trope, believe it or not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So the, the younger sister's boyfriend is missing. Um, and it starts out, it's it's dual POV, dual timeline. One of them takes place before he goes missing. The other takes place after he goes missing. And then they're like intertwined throughout the book. Yeah, nearly broke my brain. Uh, but it was... <laughs> I feel for yes. that. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it was difficult. yeah, so fun to write and so fun to explore all of those different parts of their personalities. But then that sister relationship too, and how that impacts things, and how they view each other, and how they come to respect each other or not um, throughout the course of the book. 
I love that. I love a sister relationship. I don't think there's anything more complicated than that relationship. Right? Yes. You know, you're raised the same. You're a lot the same, but you're completely different. Yeah, absolutely. I am one of five. I am the second of five. So a uh, sister on either side and then two younger brothers. So and this was actually the first like sister relationship that I ever had in a book. And when I first got the idea for it, it kind of like blew me away. Like I've never actually written a book about siblings before and how have I not done that considering how many of them I had. So it was so fun to just explore those little things and add in those little anecdotes about shared family history and things that only two of them would know about each other and the things that get on each other's nerves and the things they love about each other but don't necessarily want to say to each other. Just for no particular reason, you know, like the things that you think and it kind of makes you realize your own relationships. Like, hey, I love this about her. And why don't I tell her that more often, right? And so it was, it, it's always a learning experience. Would you consider these characters strong female protagonists? I feel like we've gotten so over that term. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you know, and that was one of my favorite things about writing Sophie, the younger sister in this book, because she's so anti that in a lot of ways like she's got no desire to save the world right she you know she starts off just like listen I kind of messed up with my boyfriend and I just want him to come back so that we can figure this out and I want to go to my ballet intensive this summer and I don't want to solve this mystery I don't want to be any part of this I just want my happy little comfortable life back I want where I was popular and part of this little power couple and that's it and she sort of is forced into that role. Um, and she's not traditionally strong. She's not, you know, closed off and no emotion and, you know, the badass that can, you know, punch everybody. And she's nothing like that. And and it was great to write her as sort of this almost anti-strong female character, um, just exactly for that reason. I love that because I feel like the term, like, strong female protagonist, it kind of implies that most strong protagonists are not female. And right. It's like a rare thing. And like, oh, wow, like a talking dog. And yeah. it's, it's so stupid. Like, yep. right. Yeah. What? And then- and there's different types of strength. Yes, like yeah. totally damaged in their past, and that's why they have this hard protective shell, and nobody can be let in, and it's all so typical. Neither of these girls are dealing with major trauma. Not that that's not a real thing. You right. Know, certainly got that in other books. Um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes they're just, you know, kids living a relatively normal life until this crazy thing happens, and then it forces them to kind of take a look at where they're at. That is the trauma. You're seeing it unfold. <laughs> yeah. <I'm sorry>. yeah. <laughs> I think that's great. I think, too, another thing is we, not we, but the industry can try to pigeonhole what strength looks like. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be this thing. And a lot of times, like, what I found is, for some reason, strength gets, it has to look very masculine. Not that there's anything wrong with that, like masculine or feminine or whatever. But it's, like, kind of tends to be, like, the default of what it has to be. Instead of, like, a lot of times it can be quieter. It can be these other things that are just as important. Like, I remember, like, when I was querying before I signed with my agent, I remember, I'll never forget, one of the feedback I got from someone, from an agent, was, I don't think she could do this in heels. And I was like, why are you stuck on her shoes? Like, what are you talking? She's a serial killer, and you're worried about her shoes, but whatever. <laughs> I'll have you know, I wore heels a lot. I could I could pull some stuff off in heels. So, you know. <laughs> Follow a woman around someday. You just made me think of that scene at the later seasons of True Blood when that southern lady is chasing one of the vampires around that prison. Have you seen True Blood? Yes, but <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> it always comes back okay. to True Blood. <laughs> it, it, 
comes back to True Blood, where they eat people. Um, but okay, so but they're in that like giant like jail that they have all of the vampires oh, yeah, in, yeah, and yeah. she's chasing one of them or running away from one of them, I guess, at that point. After being involved in this imprisonment of all of them for so long. Wait, it was the cult leader? That Southern lady? Belle. Yeah, the, the the lady married to the cult leader who then becomes With a the vampire. Blonde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like okay. the See, I think I, the, I, yeah, I, think I missed the later seasons. So <laughs> this is all. Oh, they're so bad, they're good. <laughs> like you have to zany. know what you're watching. Like it's yeah. It's it's full on camp. And this is this is a classic example. Anyway, so she's running away in these like three inch, four inch course, stilettos. Right. And it catches in the grid on the floor. She trips and falls over. But then because her shoe falls off, like the vampire comes at her and she like throws her heel into his head. Right, of course. And then she gets to keep running. It was, it was a whole thing. Anyway. So do you have, Andrea, anything outside of your genre? Like do you have, I'm not using the term guilty pleasure because there's no such thing. But is there something that you enjoy um, either in shows or books or whatever that maybe readers who know you as like this crime fiction author would be just surprised to find that you enjoy you know I kind of like I said I read everything um so there's really no limit to the amount of stuff I've got a ton of friends who write like rom-coms and romances and so that's definitely not (laughs) what people would traditionally expect from me but I love it I mean like listen there's no greater study of relationships and conflict in relationships than reading romance. I mean, like, you know, not that there's not plot in romance, but the big portion of the plot and the conflict all centers around the relationship between these two people. And there's not usually a ton of extra stuff that sort of contributes to that. So if you want like a case study and how to create characters and depth of emotion and conflict through relationships that's the perfect way to do it so I I think probably just the sheer amount of different things that I read or watch you know like big huge Schitt's Creek fan right like you know total comedy nothing at all to do with any sort of there's no trauma there are no dead bodies there you know anything but it's great love it it is great that is a great show I was going to add to what you said about romance. Like we were talking to Alexandria Belfour, who was also in our Pitch Wars class about, I know it was fabulous. 2017 was a good year, (laughs) but just how I personally believe I don't, everything I write tends to have romance in it, but I've never written just like a sheer romance. Mm -hmm. But I feel like as a reader, romance writers have to be really on top of their game because you know where it's going. It is truly about the journey. Like there's an HEA and it is all about that internal, there's external plot, but that's not why romance readers read romance. I feel like that's kind of true in crime fiction too, because we know, you know, that they're going to like, yeah, you know, like the general beats of like a plot twist is coming up. Right. They're going to find the guy. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to pull off a plot twist when you're like everybody's expecting, when you're expecting it. a plot twist. Yeah. Everyone's trying to guess the plot twist. I think that's why there can never be another Gone Girl. Right. People ask that question of, yeah, what would you, what do you wish you could read for the first time again? I don't know how no, like, how is that not everybody's answer all the time? That would have been my answer. Somebody has asked me that before. No, I, <laughs> I, I love that book just because it's the perfect answer because the thing that I loved about it, which I thought was absolutely genius, was that so, so often, like 99.9% of the time, right, the big twist comes at the end. That's what everybody's Mm -hmm. waiting for is like that 
big, you know, shocking, oh my god, never saw this coming, which is awesome, love those, except this was the midpoint. And to sort of see that craft in action of not just throwing this down, something that subverted the entire beginning of the book and made you rethink everything that you had read, but then you didn't just get to leave it there and like throw a final chapter or an epilogue in there. Like she had to write the whole second half of the book with this whole new viewpoint, but keep it interesting. And she did, it was fantastic. And I think that's probably, like you said, why there will never be another one because how do you ever redo that? That's such a good point about moving it the midpoint. Like normally it'd be like, aha, she's still alive. And like, this is what happened next and that's it. But just, Sometimes, that is one of those books I literally sometimes just think about. Like, I'll be doing something yeah. else, and I'm just like, <laughs> how the hell <laughs> did this happen? It's so good. So, I think it is probably time to play Troped Out. This is the part of the show where we ask you, well, I don't guess we really ask you. We give you two cho- choices of two tropes, and you just tell us your favorite. It shouldn't be as fun as it is. It's a lot of fun. We kind of talk about it. Don't overthink it. That's basically the rules. EJ, you want to go first? Sure. I feel like we got some really good ones. Okay, starting with serial killer with a heart of gold or a sleuth who is secretly the killer all along. Oh, I'm going sleuth who's secretly the killer all along. Because I'm a little too practical. Like, let's be honest, if you're a serial killer, you don't have a heart of gold. Like, there, there's just, there's no way. Like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, there is a limit to my suspension of disbelief. And that one just, uh, no, can't. Sorry. Not a Dexter fan. Yeah, I can totally see that. Even, maybe you have motives of gold. Maybe you're, you're wanting to do the serial killing. Self-narrative but. of gold. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dexter's a good example, right? Like, Dexter is a good example. He, you know, is arguably doing a service, I guess you would call it, um, <laughs> for the greater good. But I don't know. I don't really know that if, no, if you yeah. are a true serial killer, if, like, those sorts of, that sort of control would be possible. I feel like most of them, not that I'm an expert, but I feel like a lot of people who are killing feel like they have justified it to themselves in a way where they think they're doing a greater good, right? It's just not as easy to have a viewership follow along. (laughs) Carolyn Kepnes does a great job of this, like, because Joe is very clearly the bad guy, but it's so from his point of view and it being in second person, you're just drawn so deep in, you see why he's doing and every little thing is like, justified and it's he's bananas and he's totally the villain totally the villain but she does such a good job of like showing how he works it out and why he does this and like he's talking to the person he's like going after it that's another book that's just I don't think there will be another one like that like it's so good one of my favorite things I can't remember the actor's name who plays it and I'm completely blanking on his name Penn something who plays Joe from you yeah, so one of my favorite things is, like, him on social media as, media as like, you know, people start talking about, like, how hot Joe is, and he's so awesome, and he's like, he is a serial killer and a stalker. He's <laughs> like, what? Why do you like this guy? He's awful. I mean, he's unapologetic about, like, no, he's terrible, and there's nothing redeeming about this. This is no. not who you want to turn it's into not- love interest. It's not even like with Dexter where he's killing other serial killers. Like, he is 
actively stalking this person that he is supposedly having a relationship with. Like, there's no redeeming qualities nope. there. Nope. Mm-mm. Set the bar a little higher. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, I have one. Creepy kids or creepy spouse in, like, Ooh. a thriller crime oh. novel? Oh, goodness. I don't... Oh, this is so hard. I, I don't know that I can pick. I'm the worst troped out contestant ever. Um, no, I love a creepy kid. I love a creepy kid because, you know, like, listen, kids being weird is... Um, there's a reason why... It works so well in, like, every Stephen King book, right? Because kids, like, standing over you looking weird and creepy and, like, you know, holding a knife. That's terrifying, so I can appreciate that fully. But Creepy Husband is fun, too, because it plays on, you know, such a close relationship with someone who is so entangled in your life. Like, just the sheer amount of things that that impacts, I think, is always fun to play with. Yeah. Yeah. I think that one is like too scary for me. <laughs> Honestly. Like I, keeps me up at night. My hot take is if parents are honest, everybody has even been creeped out by their own kid at some point right. or another. Maybe even just like for a split <laughs> second, you're like, what, what the hell? What does that mean? Why did you say that? Have you guys seen Mr. Brooks? It's not exactly a creepy spouse, but he's married and he's like a family man, all American do-gooder, but he's a serial killer. I think way back, but as I you're feel saying like it, it slipped it's under like the radar. Bell sort of thing, yes. He gets away with it so well. Like his entire family is so unassuming about it. Like I go to bed after watching it, and I'm like, "What if my spouse <laughs> is a serial killer?" I start thinking about like, where does he go? Where does he spend his time? Like, what's his like pottery wheel in the backyard? <laughs> it's like it's insane. Listen, my husband travels like a lot, out. so you know. What do I know? My husband is a very talkative extrovert. Like, there's no way. Like, he could never keep a secret. Like, mm mm-mm. He couldn't do it. He's a nice guy. Always the charming ones. Yeah. Well, your husband, I don't even know your husband, but I feel like I do. And he's, like, the nice guy. So that would be super creepy if he was. It's perfect cover. He is very charming. Very charismatic. That's how they do it. Yep. Just like like a serial killer. Yeah. It's the nail in the coffin right there. I'm sure he'll be thrilled to hear about this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't listen to the podcast. Oh, God. You get the defamation lawsuit in the mail. You just come back and let us know. (laughs) Justin listens to every episode and, like, like he texts me as he's listening to it. I never tell him when we release because I don't want him to. And he's like, oh, this was very good. He's super supportive. My husband is That's like, awesome. it's annoying how supportive he is. Because <laughs> I'm like, stop. Like, I can be like, I didn't do a good job. He'll be like, you did the best job. I'm like, shut up. The best job. So cool. It'll be interesting. Later. It'll be interesting to hear Aww. what he says, hear, thinks about uh, this. But he can never be a serial killer. Should we bring it home? Do one more and then we'll bring final it home. Final one? Let, let's, okay. let's do one more. And then we'll do the final one. Okay. Okay. Grouchy detective or amateur sleuth? Oh, amateur sleuth. Just because, you know, watching somebody fumble their way through an investigation, that's so fun. I mean, and I do love a grumpy detective. That's like, it's a classic, right? But I I think it's fun to watch someone who is just thrown into a situation where they have no idea what they're doing and how the right things to do things are. And there's just so much more opportunity for things to go terribly wrong, which is always fun. I'm curious because I haven't seen it, but I know EJ is a huge fan, but like Veronica Mars, 
Was that your jam? Oh, I didn't watch that either. I know, it's terrible. I'm terrible about watching TV. Yeah. See, interestingly, she's a kid, but I don't know if I would call her an amateur. She's got access. Like, her father's a PI, and so she works for him. And so she gets access to all these, like, PI tools and knows all the tricks of the trade. She's still a teenager, so she makes bad judgment calls sometimes, and that gets her into jams. But not, like, your nosy neighbor next door who's just, like, crawling over the fence into your garden. Catches a woman across the street from the house across the wind. (laughs) (laughs) So Veronica Mars' dad was a PI, and she works for him, and your dad is in law enforcement, and you just write about the crime. That's right. You feel like that, that, like, influence... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, I grew up in Detroit, and I love when people say, like, oh, I grew up in Detroit, and then you find out it's, like, a suburb, like, no, you didn't. That's not real. Don't lie. Um, So, and, you know, it's, Detroit is actually a lovely city, and, you know, there's, all cities have their issues, maybe Detroit more than most, but there are parts of it that are totally revitalized, and that's a wonderful thing, and so I don't want to sort of play into that typical, it's, you know, just a rundown, awful city, but I think it does give you a little different perspective when you sort of are in a city where then, you know, you could literally cross a street into certain suburbs, and it's like, you know, you look to the right, and there's one scene, and look to the left, and it looks totally different, and I think that's always sort of influenced me in a lot of ways in terms of looking at the difference between the haves and have nots and how those things play against each other and how different and divided the world can be in a lot of times but you know yeah absolutely I think you know I have a famous story of when I was like something ridiculous like six or seven or something and my dad was a detective at that point and he's sitting at our kitchen table with all these folders and he's like working on a case and he shuts one of the folders and he's like don't look at this so I mean Come on, you know you can't say. Like, you might as well put a sign like blinking neon over it, like "Come see me." And so he walked out of the room, and so of course I went and looked at it, and he was right. I shouldn't have. Um, so <laughs> it was, it was not good. Um, and I so I think just sort of being around that element in a lot of ways probably led me a bit in that direction. You know, he used to tell us stories and stuff like that too. So I think that's probably always been a bit of an influence on my writing. And and I love mysteries because they're hard to write. Mm-hmm. Super hard to write, right? You know, like you've got to know when to give out the clues and when not. And you know, there's nothing better than when somebody comes back and says, did not see that coming, but should have. Like that's my holy grail, right? Anytime that I can have somebody say, I didn't put it together, but then once it happened, I was like, of course, right? That. Yeah, that was there all along. So I think that's always a fun aspect for me, too, is sort of breaking it down into all those bits and pieces and getting to the end result. I like seeing how your brain works with it, because you're right. (laughs) Mysteries are hard. There's definitely more to them, I guess, creating them than just knowing what happens at the end. Right. Yes. So I have one more for you. And this is the one we ask everybody in some form or another. And it's interesting. It's interesting. I'm curious to see what you have to say. Now I'm nervous. <laughs> oh, no, no, don't be nervous. I, I switched Not it up. Not a trick uh, question. It's uh, just interesting. Yeah. I switched it up a little bit for genre. But secret inheritance or secret baby? Mm, secret inheritance. I don't love books with babies. Does that make me a terrible person? Listen, I love my kids. I was never like that, ooh, newborns, like they're cute, they're squishy, they're great. Didn't love that phase. So, and I figured like, how it's not that easy to conceal a baby. Like, let's be honest, is it really that simple to like carry a child for 10 months and hide it forever? Probably not, especially not in today's day and age. So, but I love the idea of a secret inheritance and like having these, you know, people in your past and family ties and secrets and, you know, 
where all of that comes into play and the who's and the why's of it. Totally into that. Cool. So I think we're still over however many for Secret Baby then. Has anybody picked Secret Baby? We've had some, we've had a couple of mystery writers. Yeah. Or wait, no, we had uh, Mia and we had, no, I think she's the only one. Mia was the only one, but she did point out that Secret Baby is way different in mystery than in romance. So this is she true, writes, yes. She writes cozy, so it's a little different yes. there, too. Hmm. Okay. That's funny. Well, it's been awesome having you. Uh, can you just, before we leave, tell all of our listeners where they can find you online? Ah, yes. Um, okay, I'm going to see if I can get this right. Uh, my website is www.andreacontos.com. From there, you can find all of my social handles, quick little links. Um, on Twitter, I am... Andrea underscore Contos and on Insta I am Andrea A. Contos. Pretty sure that's right. I always get those two mixed up. <laughs> All right. And so uh, this is Troped Out, closing out for this episode. EJ Winstrom, along with my partner in crime, MSC Wells. You can subscribe and leave a review if you like what you're hearing. And check out our bookshop at bookshop.org and check out all the books from the authors we're talking to. Between episodes, you can connect with us at Typo Podcasts across all platforms. Mm-hmm.